Guys, our next guest is in a class of his own when it comes to combat sports analysis. You know his excellent work from his channel, Full Reptile, and his phenomenal fight interviews, reactions, and live streams, as well as, of course, his great work on BT Sport with the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show. He is kind enough to join us once again to help preview UFC 266. And by the way, the merch, that Full Reptile merch, so crisp, so tasty, Dan Hardy, Welcome back to Submission Radio. Thanks for joining us yet again. No worries, guys. Always good talking to you. Absolutely, man. Before we get uh, deep into Alex Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega, the shaved head, Dan, what inspired <laughs> this? Just quickly. Was it Volkanovsky? <laughs> <laughs> Efficiency in training. It just, it's much easier to just deal with when you, you know, you're rolling and, and, and training and stuff. It's, uh, yeah. It just saves a lot of time. I, I understand why monks do it now. It makes life a lot easier. Oh, nice. Well, I did the hard reset in uh, in lockdown as well. So I feel like I feel like we're all monks, you know, living the monk <laughs> lifestyle. At least at least with the it, head, the hairstyle. At least it's a good reality check as well. It helps me see how round my face has got during the lockdown as well. You see, yeah, you're a bit of a you're a bit of a, like a Daniel Day Lewis. You know, he gets into full method when he plays characters. So when yeah. you do your breakdowns, you're like, all right, I got to get the velocity right on this Alex Volkanovsky <laughs> breakdown show. Let's share the head. The problem, of course, is, you know, if you're doing somebody with luscious locks, it might take you five, maybe a year, or maybe two years to actually do the breakdown so you can do it properly. This is the problem. But, you know, if, if you're committing to a role, you know, you need to take it seriously, <laughs> don't you? So I'm just waiting for that moment to play Kale Guida. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to get into that role. <laughs> Love it. Okay. 2032, Dan Hardy, Kale Guida breakdown. <laughs> yeah. The fight happened three years ago, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with this fight, man, first, I guess a big part of the excitement of this one is because Ortega looked vastly improved uh, in his last outing against Korean Zombie, especially on the feet. Um in your opinion, in your breakdown, what would you say were the biggest technical improvements or otherwise that you saw from Brian in that fight? You know, I think a big part of it was was patience for him. You know, I think I think after the Max Holloway fight, we kind of forgot the fighter that Brian Ortega was. And going into the Max Holloway fight, I was excited because most of the time he has his best round in the third. You know, you look at his fight against, say, Moicano or, or Clay Guida, like their fights where it kind of took him a bit to get started. You know, the fight was maybe slipping away from him as he went into the third round and, and was able to get the finish. So when he was facing Max Holloway, you know, as we know, Max Holloway gets more accurate and busier as the fight goes on. So I thought, you know, this this might be a good matchup given the fact that Brian Ortega, you know, he's a similar kind of paced fighter. You know, will he get stronger in the fourth and fifth round? And I think uncharacteristically for himself, he started too fast. And Max Holloway was able to just, you know, outwork him. And I don't think he did that against the Korean Zombie. I mean, it's a different pace fight, different opponent, etc. But he just looked more patient. He, he he knew that the Korean Zombie was going to come to him because that's that's his characteristic. So he didn't go looking for the fight. He just he took his time and he picked his shots much much better. Um, I think this is a very different fight. And you know, we also have to bear in mind that the Korean Zombie is a different fight to Max Holloway and to Volkanovski. You know, pace-wise, aggression-wise, you know, he is on the front foot, but he's not nearly as as high volume as those two guys. So I, I think Volkanovski is going to really test him to see if he has improved and to see what he would do, you know, if he faced someone with the kind of volume Max Holloway again. So, I mean, break it down a little bit more for us in terms of the battle on the feet, because we know Ortega likes to switch stances and fight at different ranges. Alex is very dominant in sort of every range, but we know on the inside he can do a lot of great work. 
What do you think is the smartest sort of area and range for Ortega to work from? Do you think he's coming into this thing, hoping to keep Alex on the outside before he can move into that close range and uh, work from that position? Or do you think that he's just happy to sort of mix it up with him anyway? Well, I mean, I think he is happy to mix up, mix it up with him anyway. But I think the smart thing to do is to try and keep him at a distance as much as possible. I mean, you know, Brian Ortega is going to be the taller guy in there. And I think it's Volkanovski that's got the reach advantage by a couple of inches. So it's much more about Brian Ortega staying on the outside and using his legs like he did against Korean Zombie. You know, he, he landed hard low kicks in the first round. Then he switched it to like a hop side kick, to, uh, you know, like a teak kick to the midsection. And then he started working the, the oblique kick to the lead leg, hop side kick to the, the thigh. Like, I think they, they make a lot of sense for him, you know, because he's not he's not afraid of getting taken down. I think the threat of his guillotine and of his ground game is the deterrent that may keep this fight on the feet for him. Um, <clears throat> so to be honest, I think he can kind of, I think he can kind of be a bit more playful with his strikes in this one. I, I think, you know, using those long range sidekicks and that wicked jab that we saw in the Volkanovski fight is, is going to be the best thing for him to do. And try and frustrate Volkanovski on the outside to force him to rush into range and then clinch. Um, the, the range that he doesn't want to play with Volkanovski is that range just inside a punching range where, you know, you're not sure whether Volkanovski is coming over the top or going for your legs. And that's the point where, you know, if, if Volkanovski can keep him in that range, it's like, it's like keeping him in, in, in static white noise. You know, it, it will keep him, it will fry his brain because there's so much going on. Like that nice long distance for Ortega or all the way in and wrapped up in a guillotine is ideal for him. What are you expecting from Ortega's jab in this one? Do you think that could be another key, uh, a key weapon for him in this fight? I, I do, but I also have a lot of confidence in Volkanovski's low kick attack. You know, of course, in the Max Holloway fight, the first one, we saw him really hammer that lead leg. But what was good about that is that, <clears throat> so say, you know, if Max Holloway is predominantly orthodox, you know, maybe spends 20 or 30% of his time in Southport, I would say Ortega is probably the opposite. But because he was able to force Holloway to, to switch his stance into Southport for a greater portion of the fight, we saw him work against the Southpaw fighter as well. So I, I think the problem for Ortega is stepping on that lead leg to sting a jab and not thinking that that, that leg's going to get chopped. So that the deterrent on the jab is, is the low kicks. And because, you know, because Volkanovski moves side to side so well, I mean, you know, the Aldo fight is a good example of him. You know, he's in orthodox, then he switches to Southpaw and then he drifts across and faints in and drifts out and, constantly changing that range at the pace that he does. Um, I think that's going to open up a lot of attacks for himself. You know, it, it's really more about Brian Ortega establishing the kicks of his own. Because although that jab is going to be useful, it's it's only a stay of execution before he closes into hooking range, you know, and that's when that's when Ortega really needs to look at guillotines. Do you think, like, in in a way, like, I mean, Ortega could sort of snap up a guillotine early, early in the rounds. He's got, like... Uh, this sneaky uppercut and sneaky knees that he can take people out when they level change. But let's say that doesn't happen and the fight goes in the later rounds. Do you feel like that's kind of going to be the story? Because Volkanovski, like, I don't think anyone really looks at him as a striker. People see him as a really well-rounded guy, but he's so good on the feet. Like, he, he beat Max Holloway, he took out Aldo on the feet, you know, Chad Mendes. He's a very, very good striker, switching stances, uh, you know, the, the, the feints. Um, and if he applies that typical trademark Volkanovski pressure on Ortega, do you feel like the big test is going to be rounds maybe four or five? Because he's he's kind of like, look, 
he looked good against Zombie because Zombie, you know, just came into his his range and let him do what he wanted. And I feel like, I wonder if, uh, you know, we're going to see a similar Ortega in the later rounds if Volkanovski uh, applies that pressure. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, you're right about the Korean zombie. I mean, he is there to get hit. That's part of the reason why he's, you know, he's an interesting and exciting fighter to watch. But you always felt like Zombie was kind of hanging on that front foot and waiting for the opportunity to counter. And because Ortega was was never really fully committing to anything, he played a very, very, a very cautious and very smart game against the Korean zombie. And, and I think the pressure of Volkanovski can, it will force him through that. I think that's the best way of considering it. Volk, you know, Korean zombie just kind of stayed in the range where, where Ortega could work and, and not really get worried too much. And that allowed him to set him up for, you know, like spin an elbow that he landed. Um, and, you know, really just allowed Ortega to look very good in that fight. I think the pressure from Volkanovski changes that. And I think that's where we see, A, if Ortega can keep that kind of calmness under pressure, B, if he can slow the fight down, or C, you know, if he is under that kind of pressure, how does he keep up with it? Because, you know, I mean, the Clay Guida fight's a good example of someone that has a real pace, you know, and Ortega came on really strong in the third round in that and was able to stop him with the knee. And same thing with Moicano. I think as long as he comes out and, and doesn't get ran over in the first two rounds, those that last three rounds for Ortega might be his best rounds yet. But he's got to get there and he's got to get there without, you know, getting beaten up in the process and, and worn down. Um Losing the first two rounds, I don't think it's a concern for Ortega, though. He's never really fought like he's trying to win rounds. And and I think that might be a benefit to him because he's not going to be rushing in and trying to trying to trade with uh, uh, Volkanovski. I think he made that mistake against Max Holloway the, the first time around. And I think that was the biggest lesson coming out of that fight. You know, he don't work too hard when you don't need to. Um, you know, be the more strategic fighter. Volkanovski's volume is what's weaponized. No one says that about Brian Ortega. It's about his precision and about his technique. And, you know, one other thing I will I will mention um, about his, you know, his close range tactics, you know, the, the spinning elbow that he landed on um, Korean Zombie was beautiful. You know, he set that up by a level change in a, in a fainted low. But the best one was the one he landed on Frankie Edgar. Yeah. And if you think Volkanovski is the guy that's coming in close range, his head, although it might be, you know, bouncing around in the pocket, it's going to be in the pocket. And if you're good with that lead elbow to set up those uppercuts, I mean, that's a real a real dangerous weapon for Brian Ortega. Um, but again, you know, it's about precision because Volkanovski will get through with something because he throws so much. He's such an underrated and underappreciated champion as Volkanovski, <clears throat> especially outside of Australia. I know a lot of people are still arguing over that Max Holloway fight. But I'm, I'm, before we kind of get your thoughts about all of that, Dan, I'm wondering because one of the things that makes Volko special is the fact that he likes kind of has the habit of taking the fight into his opponent's strongest areas. And he's already made it clear to us he has absolutely no fear of Ortega's ground game. Um, obviously, he's been working with Craig Jones uh, from Absolute MMA here in Melbourne. They're working together at tough. If you're Volkanovsky, how do you avoid getting caught while, while not avoiding the ground game and taking the fight to Brian's arguably strongest area? Well... I, I actually think Volkanovski's ground game is really suited to a good jiu-jitsu player because he, although obviously, you know, he's very much aware of jiu-jitsu and he, and he is training jiu-jitsu and, and, you know, raising his own skill level there, he, he's also not going get to get involved with Brian Ortega as far as, as far as, 
you know, entangling it in a grappling match, you know, al- almost always when Volkanovski's on the floor, it's up against the fence. He likes his opponent spying along the edge of the fence, so they've not got a great deal of movement. And then he he posts on them. He posts on a hip and posts on their head. He stays keeps his hips very square into their fence. So, like these. There are very rarely opportunities for people on the ground to pull Volkanovski into a jiu-jitsu match. And and we have to also bear in mind, you know, the, the fence is an unknown space for everybody in the sport. You know, we're all learning how to deal with the fence. It doesn't suit anybody being there really. So like if you can put if you can put Ortega on the floor up against the fence and, and you can refuse to engage in the jiu-jitsu match by posting and having a good strong base and you know, framing and keeping keeping that striking volume high, he, he might just be able to wear Ortega out in the range where Ortega should be able to do something. Because, you know, being trapped up against the fence is a different thing entirely. And, you know, the, the, the volume that Volkanovski lands on the feet, once he's got you in a place where he doesn't have to keep chasing you down, he'll, he'll hold you there and beat you up. I mean, was it uh, Kennedy? Like he held Kennedy down and beat him, you know, consistently and got the fight stopped there. Um, there was another one as well, Kasuya. It was a Japanese kid. Mm-hmm. I've just got this this vision of him framing on his face and framing on his hip, and and his opponent trying to like pull himself underneath into half guard, and Volkanovski's just like, nope, you stay in there. <laughs> like I, I I like that style of grappling for him in this fight, and you know if he is able to rough uh, Ortega up on the inside and get him to the floor safely, get past his guard, keep his neck safe. Then yeah, I don't see why Volkanovski can't do that. Um, he's just he's just got to be respectful about what he's up against while he's down there. But you know, if you're aware of it and you refuse to get involved, then that that makes it a lot more difficult for Brian Ortega. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to see this fight on the ground at some point just to see you know how that all works out because Ortega is just so dangerous and like you mentioned, Volko's got a good style on the ground. Um, with all that said, who are you leaning towards? in this one. And if Alex wins, you know, people already talk, or Dana White's already talking about a potential Max trilogy. Do you think it's warranted? Who who do you think won the last one? Well, I mean, I thought, I thought the last one was far closer. And I think the, the, the thing that sways a lot of people is, is the, the way that Max Holloway was, you know, he was gesturing to John Anik, you know, he was telling him to be quiet and, Mm -hmm. you know, like there there was a real kind of, there was a real kind of feeling from Max Holloway that he came in to, to really, prove the doubters wrong from the first fight and show that he is he is the champ. And I think he I think he got closer to winning the fight. But you know, you, if you look at the stats, Volkanovski wins. He lands about 30 more strikes, three takedowns, something like that. Mm-hmm. But then if you score it round by round, which obviously is how we do it, that's when it gets more confusing because it, it, it gets a lot closer. Now I've watched it a few times. I, I I still lean slightly more towards Max Holloway. I felt like he did the more meaningful work, but he didn't he didn't have the volume. Um, but I wouldn't be at all bothered about a rematch. I think it makes sense because th- there is a, as you said, you know, Volkanovski is one of the most underrated champions. Part of the reason for that is because Max Holloway is one of the most respected. He was one of the most proven. And Volkanovski beat him at his own game, which I think surprised a lot of people. I think, we, were, you know, everyone was expecting him to wrestle. And twice Volkanovski put on a really good performance. And, you know, Max Holloway's always going to be competitive. I, 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 with, this one, with this one, I, don't, I just don't know. I, I think that Brian Ortega's got a much better chance of beating Volkanovski than Max Holloway has. But I don't think Brian Ortega beats Max Holloway again. 
<laughs> like I, I don't. I think I think Holloway's got got um, Ortega's number. So I'd much rather see Volkanovski win because I would like to see that rematch with Max Holloway. I think we need something more decisive. Um, but but I I think that I think there are a lot more dangers for Volkanovski in this fight. You know, I mean, Max Holloway's a similar kind of fighter. Like he starts off with a, with a steady pace and he builds up into a ferocious pace. And you know, in the Calvin Cater fight, we saw that even more. I, I looked at the stats today; it's crazy. 445 strikes he landed in that fight compared to when he fought uh, Brian Ortega the first time, and that was 290. Like it's it, his output's ridiculous. But then I look at uh, Volkanovski and I'm like, well. You know, you put a pace on him, and he's going to match that pace and raise you some. Mm. But with the threats that or- Ortega brings to the table, those knees at the center line, the uppercuts, the knees, the, the elbows in close range, as well as the guillotines and his ability to transition on the floor, I think there are a lot more traps for Volkanovski to fall into with this one. I think he should win, but I, 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 it, I actually am leaning slightly more towards Ortega at this point. I wow. think you might be able to maybe sting him you know, roll him onto a knee and then catch him in a guillotine or something. But it's going to be a, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be one of those kind of flash moments where Ortega's technique just shines through. Um, But, you know, I could go back, you could ask me tomorrow and I'd change my mind. It's very competitive. and And I think that Max Holloway, we've got a bit of a weird love triangle going on with the three of them. And I think they could fight it out over and over again. Just do a tournament in one night and just get all three of them in there. <laughs> Try and go, man. Uh, but appreciate the honesty, Dan. And I mean, I think that a lot of people sort of pr- predicting uh, Alex to win. But I think you bring up some really good points about this fight. And that is there are those wow moments that can happen during the fight. And Ortega can win. And there's going to be such a fascinating fight. I'm just curious, before we move off Alex, what, what do you think it is about him that makes him such a sort of great fighter? Because obviously he's very skilled. He's very skilled in every area, but then we know he's got crazy mental toughness. Like when he was coming up through the UFC ranks and you were commentating his fights and um, you saw sort of his earlier fights, we knew like he was coming into fights with really bad injuries. He was uh, driving over state lines, cutting weight to be backups for title fights. Like his mental toughness is absolutely unparalleled. And even in that second Max Holloway fight, there was a point that you saw he was losing that fight and he switched it up mentally and was able to pick things up and then go on to win it. What do you think about him makes him such a special fighter to you? Is it is it the fact that he's so durable, so skilled, the mental toughness? What is it? You know, I, I think it's I think it's a combination of several things. I mean, that that mental toughness, I mean, you know, I, I don't know where that comes from, but it's evident in all of his performances. It doesn't matter who he's fighting, you know. Um, when, when he was hurt against Chad Mendes, you know, seeing him dig deep in that in that first round and turn it around on Mendes, and and not only turn it around on him, but but like put it on him and stop him in his range, it was, you know, it was it was a great performance. But honestly, honestly, I think it's, I mean, there there are so many things you could focus on. I love his footwork. I think his footwork's so chaotic and it really throws people off. I think he's. Um, I think his ability to step through with power punches is something that works really well for him, especially because there's that threat of the level change underneath. You know, one of the best clips is him knocking Darren Elkins almost completely off his feet because Elkins was standing up against the fence, dropping his hands ready to underhook, and this massive right hand comes over the top. You know, so it's the, it's the, 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 the variety of different threats 
as soon as you see him coming towards you, he could be coming over the top, around the sides or underneath. And he moves at such a speed with such a pace. You know, I've talked about it quite a bit since I've been working on uh, on the one championship stuff. But this Rod Tang timing, you know, if you watch Rod Tang's fights, it's almost like he interrupts the moment where you should, where you should attack by attacking again mm. and then again. And then just as you're going to go, then he goes again. And like that overwhelming constant work rate is it cracks so many people and he does it with precision and with good technique as well. And, and oftentimes with that kind of pace, sometimes people, you know, they, they forego um, good decision making. And you don't see that with, with Volkanovski. He can keep that pace on, but also do it in a very, very technically, uh, you know, proficient way. Yeah, that's right. I can't wait for this fight. Uh, speaking of technically proficient, and just before we get to Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler, the people's main event, so to speak, I got to say, man, there's nothing technically proficient about eating cereal with just tons of sugar, tons of calories and tons of other crap. I love cereal, but I haven't eaten it in like 10 years because of all the crap that's in it, because of all the calories and, you know, becoming an old man. I want to look sexy. I don't want to be, you know, having all that kind of crap in my body. Enter Magic Spoon that cures, fixes all those problems. It takes out all the excess calories, still tastes delicious. It is the High-protein, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, wheat-free, naturally-flavored, totally delicious, childlike cereal for grown-ups, for you, yourself. I wish I wish this thing was around when I was uh, on keto, trying obsessively to lose weight, but alas, here it is, uh, and it can help you out. Isn't that right, Dennis? Yeah, man. I remember when I was a kid, you'd uh, get all these cereals that tell you that they're good for you, and that they're going to make you like a triathlete and stuff. Oh, yeah. And now when we look back at it, oh, no wonder I was a bit of a fat piece of crap back in the day, <laughs> you know? Just in there eating as much as I can. I don't know if people remember this, but uh, back in our day with me and Casper, we were a bit, a bit of a Nick Diaz-type-esque era. Uh, people would walk around with big like liter things of milk, be drinking them in between trainings. It was a different time to be alive. Bit of a Brock Lesnar situation there where now you can actually enjoy it and you can actually feel good and look good with zero grams of sugar, 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs and only 140 calories in each serving. Click the link below uh, to get $5 off, which is a crazy deal with the code submission or just the link below or at magicspoon.com forward slash submission. Get on it now. That's right. While you're improving your life tenfold, don't shave your beans with a rusty razor and end up looking like, you know, Nick Diaz's face after a fight of the night. I know, I know Nick Diaz is coming back this week, but, you know, you want your downstairs region to be looking very different. Use the Manscaped Lawn Mower 4.0 with its skin-safe technology. Never cut yourself again. Look how sleek this bad boy is. 7,000 RPM of pure power. you got the LED light uh, so you can, I don't know, shave your nuts in a cave. Uh, you've got the travel lock so it doesn't go off in your bag. You've got the wireless charger. You can just dock it and it charges wirelessly. Never, ever run low on juice ever again. Uh, with their Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, you get the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, you get the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. That's something you could put on, you know, first thing in the morning as you leave the house. The Crop Reviver Toner, which, you know, freshens up the boys if you're maybe in the middle of a date or, you know, between rounds. And then Performance Boxer Briefs to make you look nice and then the travel bag to hold all your goodies. Just a fantastic deal, isn't that right, Dennis? 
Yeah, man. I mean, look, Dan Hardy was at the start of the interview talking about how much speed and precision he's got with his new haircut. Mm. Now, imagine having that, but downstairs. I mean, nothing would be able to stop you. So jump on, get 20% off with the code word submission and free shipping. That's 20% off with the code word submission and free shipping. Change your life today with Manscaped. Get that speed and precision where it needs to be. Yeah, but as enough teasing. Uh, as we said, Dan, the people's fight really is Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. Um, man, Nick Diaz makes his long-awaited and eagerly anticipated return. Everyone's pumped, but like without sounding too cynical, uh, what do you make of his decision to return considering, you know, the bizarre state that he was in uh, in that 2019 Errol Hawani interview where he looked either drunk or, you know, under the influence. Something just wasn't right there. And, like, I've watched the countdown, and he's speaking like a Rhodes Scholar. He looks great. He's got a great tan. <laughs> everything kind of checks out. But people can't help but sort of question, uh, I guess, the motivation and just, you know, the, the, the place he's in maybe mentally heading into this fight. What do you make of it, Dan? I mean, I think that's why it's so, so exciting is because we all have an expectation of Nick Diaz. You know, we all have a, you know, we, we all have a memory of who he was when he was competing before. We've kind of, we've seen Nate come along and kind of trying to try and fill his shoes a little bit, but not at the same time. Like we, we all go, oh, well, I mean, you know, even the comments on the war room and stuff, it's like, you know, the general's returning. Hmm. It's like, he's, he's, he's this, this hailed cult figure and people have high expectations for him. And, and I think that, I think that brings a lot of pressure with it. And I, th I, th I think that Nick, you know, he's never going to show that kind of pressure. But in my opinion, that's what he's really struggled with throughout his career. You know, it's not it's not stepping onto big stages and fighting some of the best guys in the world. It's the pressure of being in the limelight. You know, I, I think he deals with that by being, you know, aggressive and standoffish and, you know, smoking a bunch of weed and drinking a bunch of alcohol. I think there is coping mechanisms you know, if you remember when he was going into the uh, the GSP fight, like he didn't show up to the press conference and he was punished for it. And, you know, I know he played it up by saying, oh, you know, I don't want to be dealing with this kind of nonsense and stuff. But I think that is genuinely what makes him uncomfortable. You know, you, you, you kind of see it a bit with Nate as well. You're like, they, they look a bit out of place at the press conference and they obviously come out with great one liners, but mm. they, they're not they don't like those those environments. So. I think this version of Nick Diaz is going to be very different. I think he's matured now. I think he's a lot more um, aware of himself as a martial artist. Now, even if he's not really been in the gym and he's just been kind of floating around and partying and stuff, I, I still expect his mind to be ticking on martial arts all the time, just because I, I think he's got a similar mind to me in that way. You know, I, I think he's I think that's it's an obsessive it's an obsession for him. You know, and what's weird as well is when you get these obsessive martial artists, they sometimes channel that into other things like Paul Felder with his cross, with his, uh, you know, triathlon. Mm. Like it's a it's a characteristic of someone being able to channel that that, you know, unrelenting energy they've got. And I, I think that's what you see in Nick Diaz, whether that translates back into a, a good performance or not in, in, in the octagon. I don't know, but I'm, I'm really excited to see. You know, I, I have to give him the, you know, the respect he deserves. He's stepping back in there with all these expectations and pressure. You know, it would be much easier for me to step back in there because there aren't the same kind of expectations. You know, but like with, with Nick, it's it's almost like people are expecting him to be better than he was years ago when he was fighting, which is not, you know, it's not realistic to expect that. But does he look good enough to beat Robbie Lawler? Quite possibly. Is Robbie Lawler? 
in shape and conditioned and a scary individual, even coming off four losses? Absolutely he is. And if you back Robbie Lawler up against the, up against the fence, or you know, metaphorically or physically, he's he's lethal, you know. And Nick's never been a big puncher, you know. He the, the times he stopped people, it's because he's waterboarded them, you know. But as I said today when we were recording the podcast, you know, if you style his waterboarding someone, you're going to get wet yourself, and you don't need to get wet much by Robbie Lawler before you've fallen asleep. Mm. It, it's it's a it's a different risk and a different threat than it was 18 years ago when they fought last. You know, Diaz could take a massive shot back in those days, and Robbie Lawler was more aggressive in those days. He was a more of a wild man. You know, Nick slapped him and he got him all fired up and he ran him onto a punch. I don't. It's the same Robbie Lawler. I also don't think that Nick could probably take those same kind of punches anymore. So. That's that's the big question. I, I hope he, I hope nobody gets hurt and he looks great. I hope they both look great. Um, but I, I can see that there's a massive amount of pressure on Nick to somehow be better than he was when he was fighting before. I think we all need to lower that expectation and just enjoy the fact that he's back. Yeah, and I feel like you hit the nail on the head. Like, and doesn't it say it all when you're saying like, I hope nobody gets hurt? Like, we're not talking yeah. like that about Volkanovski and, and Ortega. We're not saying I hope none of these guys get hurt. <laughs> you know, but when you when you look at Nick Diaz. And the return, I think you answered, well, you, you brought up the main point, which is his ability to take a punch. And you, you talked about your own comeback. And yeah, like when I think about Nick Diaz coming back, I kind of think about you coming back. But I feel like the big difference is like, you know, I don't know your day to day, but you strike me as someone who lives a very clean lifestyle. And that's just not what we've seen from, yeah, r relatively, right? <clears throat> but it, what we've seen from Nick Diaz has been like just a lot of partying, at least, you know, at least on the, on his Instagram, a lot of partying over the last few years. And I just wonder, and I hope this isn't the fight that he comes back and it all kind of catches up with him. And, you know, like th this isn't the Nick Diaz return that people are hoping for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, I try not to get fanboyish about it because yeah. of course, you know, I mean, I remember watching that first fight. I remember it like how much of a big fan I was of both of both of those guys and followed their careers all the way through. But I have to be realistic. Like, of course, it's not going to be the same Nick Diaz that it was when he fought Anderson Silva. It's just there's no way it's going to be that same guy. A lot of times passed. And as you said, you know, a lot of tequilas have been slammed and a lot of beers have been drank and, and a lot of weed's been smoked. And I, I don't know what he's going to look like. I mean, he looks in good shape, you know, like we see him doing these triathlons. You have to be a machine to be able to do those things. So I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's a very muddied picture. It's very, very difficult. He's such an unknown commodity coming in and he's got such a fanfare behind him that I feel like there's no way he can live up to that expectation. Of course, I hope he does. You know, I'm a bit disappointed that, that Carlos Condit's just retired because, I mean, he should be waiting in the wings for the for the winner or loser of this, as well as Matt Brown. You know, there's, there's loads more fights I want to see these guys in. But if he comes in looking like Evander Holyfield, mm. you know, I, I think a lot of people are going to be really disappointed. Mm. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. So many hearts broken, Evander uh, Holyfield and so many <laughs> legends coming back. But hey, he was doing like cartwheel triangles in the countdown, which looked very smooth. <laughs> And then who knows, maybe the break from fighting uh, just mentally for him, maybe he comes back with an excitement of actually being back in there. There's also that uh, side of it as well. So let's hope that's the side. But just on the booking itself, Dan, uh, UFC never really book legends versus legends. You, you were talking to us about that when you were sort of looking to 
fight in the UFC. They seem to book legends against up-and-comers to try and build those up-and-comers up. So do you, you like the booking here with Robbie Lawler, the fact that the UFC actually did this legends versus legends thing? And do you think they might actually be learning from boxing and some of these other leagues about how to book older fighters to try and sort of maximize their value and excitement for the fans? You know, I, I, I hope so. I think this is the ideal matchup. I, I, you know, aside from maybe giving Nick someone like a cowboy, I, I think this is the this is the match to make. You know, the, it's a rematch after 18 years or something. You know, Robbie's not in a great state coming off four losses. He could do with a win. Nick's coming back after a long time off. He could do with a win. I, I think it's great matchmaking. And I, and I hope that, you know, like say if Nick comes out and looks fantastic, I hope then he doesn't get the, the Hamzat Chemaev or whoever else is, is waiting there to, to make a name off them. Because like there is genuinely a space for these guys to stay in the sport and, and to be fighting against one another. And, you know, given the fans the fights that they love, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, they, they, they could not, they could release both of these guys and then they'll find themselves on, a, on another card doing some other type of rule set perhaps but the ufc could be smart about this i think that's really smart matchmaking and, I, and I, i'd like to see them follow that and keep giving these older guys the, the right matchups because you know I mean, we've got so many young killers coming through every one of them wants to fight nick diaz you know it's, it's such a huge opportunity I, I i think that the opportunity is is a bit too great for some of these guys and i don't i think we need to diminish these legends by you know Use them as marketing tools for other people. Yeah, hundred percent. I, for me, the most fascinating thing also is just in the countdown. Nick Diaz saying like, "I don't want to be a gangster anymore. That's not the image that I want to portray." You know, I'm doing things for the kids. Um, and then he's saying that he's not going to be mean mugging or talking to Robbie Lawler. Who is this man? He took the, he took the Diaz out of Nick Diaz. I, I I'm very excited to see who this man this you know this road scholar is who's going to face uh, Robbie Lawler. Uh, this weekend. Uh, you've also got Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy for the uh, women's flyweight title. Uh, I'm excited for that fight too. But Dan, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so we'll let you go in a second. With the last few minutes that we've got with you, I just want to take a second to get your thoughts on and also appreciate the craziness surrounding Dan Hooker and uh, Nazareth Hakparest. The crazy things that these guys have been going through, obviously Dan not being able to get his visa, going to MMA Twitter, forcing strong arming the consulate to give him that visa it was such a feel-good story of the week now Nazareth is currently facing his own visa issues the passing of his mother who he was extremely close to just days away you know the weight cuts of both of these men as they enter the country with essentially you know minutes before the event starts what do you make of this craziness and these guys just you know being ultimate it's like a fine line between being ultimate warriors in, in, you know, going through with this, but also the reality is that like guys need to sometimes do things if they want to get paid and survive in this sport. What do you make of this craziness that we're seeing this week? I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. I don't know exactly why it's been so problematic when a lot of other fighters have been, been traveling back and forth, but it, it it's, it shows first of all, how, you know, how desperate these guys are to compete, yeah. whether that's because they just want to be in there and fighting or whether it's because, you know, this is a job and they've got bills to pay. You know, either way, they're motivated to get in there and they're doing everything they can to be in there. So you expect that if the fight does actually come off, that it's going to be a great one anyway. I mean, even under normal circumstances, Hack Prast against Hook is a good fight. You know, both of them are 
aggressive come forward fighters. They both occupy a similar space. The, the point of difference is that Hakparast is a shorter, longer range fighter that is very good at pressuring, you know, skilled strikers like the Mark Jacasey fight. And then Dan Hooker, I mean, obviously, the, you know, this is a fight that he should win. He's been fighting at the top, you know, top levels of the division against the toughest. Um, but, you know, sometimes his, his decision making is a little bit wild and he pays for it and he makes fights more difficult than he needs to be. Um, I think, I mean, this that might work in his favor in this one because he does walk through fire genuinely to genuinely to get wins anyway. So, you know, the more he sacrifices and the harder it is to get there. And then when he finally arrives in the octagon, it's like, I'm here. I forced my way here and nothing's going to stop me. You know, that that mindset is coming from both guys. It'd be different if one of them lived in Vegas and the other one was going through this, you know, this ordeal to get there. But they're both going through it, you know. Heck Rast has, has lost his mother. I, I can't imagine how heartbreaking that is. So he's carrying that into the octagon as well. You know, I hope with all of this this effort that they're putting in, they do get you know get to actually fight at the end of the day. Um, but I also hope they both give a good account of themselves and they're not a bit reckless because of uh, of the the trials and tribulations that have that have uh, befallen them. Mm. And as as the time of this recording, um, Diane's already on Twitter calling out Armin because I don't know what's going on with Nazrat, but it looks like if this visa thing doesn't come through, he's already looking for another fight uh, this weekend, UFC 266. Now, obviously, Nazrat going through the horrible loss of his mother, but with Dan, uh, the police kicking him out of the gym. He had to train basically by himself for the majority of this camp. Now he leaves New Zealand tomorrow, gets in on, on the, the Thursday and has basically one night to cut that weight when he gets in before the fight. What What is, just give us your thoughts, Dan, on Dan Hooker and this resiliency to try and make it to fight night and actually make this fight. I mean, you know, I, I, I love it. I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine how difficult it's been to prepare for a fight. Um, first of all, a fight that you don't know whether you're actually going to be able to get to or not. I mean, that is, that's a difficult process to get through. You, you, you're trying to motivate yourself every day whilst also waiting on on the decision of somebody else shuffling paperwork in an office to decide whether you can get on the plane. Like that, first of all, shows a lot of mental toughness to just make his way through the training camp with that that question in in uh, in the back. But you know, <laughs> the, 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 these are the kind of stories that MMA was made on. You know, you you guys have been in the game long enough. You you remember these these stories from every weekend where. You know, you just get to the venue. The first fight's at this time. You've got to have your hands wrapped by this time. Make sure you're here. We'll check your weight when you when you arrive, and we'll just roll with it. <laughs> you know, I've, I've I've done a lot of those those events myself, and there's something there's something quite free flowing and a bit distracting about it, which I, I think benefits some people. You know, it's same with Michael Bisping. You know, you match him up against Luke Rockhold with a full training camp, and he's not going to win. But you take him off a film set and tell him, you know, in a week's time, you're fighting for the world title and he win by knockout. You know, the, sometimes the unusual circumstances that people have to go through actually makes life easier for them. You know, the the the, the, the pressures that he's dealing with on a daily basis will distract him from the point that, you know, he has to think about getting in the octagon. And at this stage in his career, probably that's not too much of a difficult thing to do anyway. I mean, he's been in such wars and, you know, he's, he's carried events like the, like the one with Paul Felder. Um, but I, I mean, I love, I love Dan Hooker. I love his, his determination. And 
you know, the sacrifices that he was making through Fight Island as well, being in quarantine away from his family and stuff. You know, he's had a he's had a real hard time staying active during this pandemic. And and I'm hoping this is the last hurdle that he has to get over because I'd like to see him back in regular competition without these problems. That's right, Dan. Well, man, hopefully things can get a little bit better over these New Zealand and Australian rules to get back over to the US. It's pretty crazy for the fighters. I mean, Dan was even mentioning that they might have to move their whole training camp to the US to stay active. So we'll see what happens with that. But for now, UFC 266 goes down this weekend. We're not quite sure what the card's going to look like, if Dan's going to be on there. But Man, there are some exciting fights. And Dan, we appreciate you breaking it down. Of course, everybody needs to follow the man on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Hardy MMA. The best breakdowns in the business. Full reptile. What about this YouTube? You guys just had a video. You guys have so much great content on there. I mean, it basically feels like the HBO of MMA. You know how they only have the high quality stuff? Man, you guys have basically Sopranos playing there, but MMA versions of it. You guys are following Michael Venom Page around for a day. I mean, the, all these videos are just so, so great. You guys, uh, the Raptors put in so much great work, and it's just really, really high-quality stuff. The Dan Hardy Breakdown Show on BT Sport. Of course, The War Room, his book for Reptile. And also the merchandise, man. I said it at the start, crisp and sexy. Make sure to jump on and grab some. Dan Hardy, you're killing it, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you. Enjoy 266. Thanks, Dan. You too. Bye.